And uh, we are in Hebrews chapter 13. Uh, If you're following along, that little half sheet will tell you sort of the summary of the verses we're going to cover today. Um, So again, we've arrived at the end. In chapter 12, from 18 through 24, uh, that was the description of what we just got done doing. Uh, And, you know, maybe that's what we should do. We should all memorize it. Uh, Because it's just good to, you know, know what's going on in the divine service. It's so easy uh, to not think of these important things. Uh, so, so now he's moving from the divine service. What's happening? How we're all before Jesus. Now, where are you going to take this to? And how does it impact the rest of your life um, as you go out into the world? So chapter 13. Let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers... For by, doing so, for by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. All right, so we now are jumping into... Uh, oh, yeah, here you go. You, you can put them on the... Yeah, put them on the table. Thanks, thanks, Ed. Um, so we're, we're turning now to uh, the life and the church... And even our interaction with other people outside of the church. Um, but first of all, let brotherly love continue. Um, what, what, are they, what is he saying by brotherly love? What is, what is that? Philadelphia. That's right. And that's actually the Greek. Yeah, it's Philadelphia. Yeah. But a brotherly love, I imagine, is the love between Christians. Yes, that's right. Love between Christians. Why is it that brother is a good word for this kind of love? If think about Jesus and his acknowledging of his disciples. Um, what, what is he? What are we to him? Family. We're family. Right? And, and again, this is the brotherly affection. Uh, so Philadelphia uh, is, uh, again, it's a turning to one another as those who are part of the same heart, cloth, um, blood. Uh, and, of course, in Jesus, we are part of the same blood. Um, now, now, why is he admonishing them to let it continue? He is That's right. Yeah, right. Well, okay, that's true. Yeah, right? Um, and what, if he's admonishing them to let it continue, what's, what's the danger? Yeah. So what, what then, especially, I mean, at this time, but also among us, what is a threat to uh, our brotherly love not continuing? Yeah, Jimmy? Ah, oh, the devil. That's right. Yeah. Uh, he is a threat to us. Familiarity. familiarity, yes. Familiarity breeds contempt, right? Uh, and that's awful. Yeah. How about different, different opinions? Different yeah, right. So uh, didn't, uh, didn't he say this in reference to St. Peter was preaching one way and Paul was preaching another way? And there was a little bit of conflict there? Yeah, so Paul uh, rebukes Peter. Um, because he only eats with the Jews and he leads even his good friend Barnabas astray. Um, that we are constantly threatened by 
whether it's familiarity or, uh, again, what, what uh, Jimmy said too, the, our sin um, and the devil. So we have dangers around us that we must be admonished to continue in brotherly love. Um, what does it look like when you're not in brotherly love? Yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So we, we actually uh, are against each other. We're at war with each other. Um, so brotherly love uh, is the affection. But when we don't have it, we don't ever give anyone the benefit of the doubt. Um, there are a lot of admonitions in Scripture that we should bear one another's sins. Uh, now, that sort of sounds noble until you have to do it. <laughs> Uh, and then when your brother sins against you, you really just want to get rid of him, right? Or at least have him go away for a little while until you aren't angry anymore. Um, or maybe you just want to associate with the kind of people that you like. And this is the strange thing about the church, uh, is it gathers all kinds of people from all kinds of backgrounds with all kinds of habits, be they good or bad, uh, and, and yet what binds us together is not our like-mindedness when it comes to this earth, but our like-heartedness uh, and even our like-mindedness in Jesus. That's what binds us here. Um, so it doesn't matter what culture you're from or you know, who your mother or father were uh, or what you grew up doing. Uh, and we all do things different. And that makes us sort of angry when other people do it different because it makes us feel like they're harming us. But brotherly love allows us to let that finally just flow over us. You know, we, we grant forgiveness. We know we too have all kinds of bad habits and weaknesses that other people have to deal with. Uh, and if, they, if they're going to put up with us, we most certainly can put up with them. Um, so that's the thing that this is admonishing. Uh, because it's easy to let bitterness come into our fellowship. It's easy to say, well, I, I'm offended, and therefore you must leave. Um, or I'm going to go over here because you did such and such. Um, and especially here, again, keep in mind, these are uh, people under persecution. So they're in pressure, right? And, and we are in an environment of pressure now. Um, you know, whether that's uh, in your workplace, there are many workplaces now who really pressure you to do things that are not Christian. Um, and so because of that pressure, it's easy to want to get control again, right? Um, whether that's, you know, in church or among friends. Uh, but here, we're being admonished. Continue in it. Remain in brotherly love. Uh, you know, brothers, when they hit each other in the face, uh, you know, they, they actually go back to each other after that, right? Uh, they know that they, they're rough and tumble or they know that they offend each other. Um, but in the end, they're brothers and they live with it. Um, and that's, too, a lot of what the church looks like, uh, is that we, we're going to hurt each other. I mean, just being in proximity to each other. If, if, if we haven't learned yet, people make people sick. And people also hurt other people's feelings. Um, is there's not just spiritual, or sorry, not just physical sickness, but spiritual sickness. Um, so we, we make each other sick. Uh, it, it, <laughs> we make each other sick. But... Um, but at the same time, we are admonished here to keep this love, the brotherly love that Christ has, 
where he walks around with disciples that continuously misunderstand him and leave him and then come back to him and pray for his forgiveness. So, brotherly love, let it continue. Also, and now, now we're turning to the outside. Um, so the environment in the church should be one of love and of family uh, that is not contemptuous of each other and looking down on each other, but instead, this is the positive brotherly love. This is the love that says, I'm going to love you with all of your wrinkles and all of your issues. I'll love you all the same, um, and I will help you as much as I can. Now we look to the outside. Do not forget to entertain strangers. Uh, so here, the church should look like a place, uh, and we Christians should look like those who are ready to take others in, um, who are ready to say, uh, you know, yes, uh, you, you're, you're, you're coming to visit. I mean, this is, can be as simple as visitors in the church. Uh, hey, how are you? What's your name? Where are you from? Um, or it could also be under your own houses, um, but even, even out in the community. Right? Um, that there are, I mean, in our time, of course, there's a lot of immigrants here, uh, especially in Dearborn. Um, these are visitors in the sense that they, they probably feel like they don't belong very well among us. Um, and, to, and to actually help them, be of service to them. Um, so this is uh, for people coming into church, but also in your own lives, uh, that you would uh, be like Abraham. When he has the three visitors, what does he do? No, sorry, I, I, can't, I can't talk to you. Uh, you know, you're, you're strange to me. Um, no, he, he says, have a seat. Can I get you something to eat? And it takes a long time to prepare. I mean, again, it's Abraham, right? So he's in the wilderness in a tent. Of all the times you don't want to entertain people, it's when you're camping in a tent. And yet, there he goes, you know, three, three strangers, you know, he slaughters a fatted calf and feeds them well. Um, and... and at the time, uh, he wouldn't have known them right away. Now, maybe soon he would have known that this was messengers of God. Um, but the same thing happened with Lot, right? Uh, these same messengers go from Abraham down to Sodom and Gomorrah, and Lot welcomes them in. And, and, and Lot, I think, is probably the, one of the best stories for us to consider. What would have happened if Lot would have left those men outside? In the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah, they would have taken them and done awful things to them. Um, And so Lot brought them in because he knew he had a safe place for them. And that's what we Christians have to keep in mind, um, not to be so reflexive in our defense uh, against others, but when there is strangers among us or visitors among us, uh, that we would do our best to give them hospitality. Um, give them a place to stay, uh, help them in whatever way we can. Uh, so uh, is that, it's not something we often hear about, uh, but it's, it's, I love that it's here because it's good for us to remember um, that we, we used to be strangers. Or I, we are strangers now because we're Christian. Um, so we know what it's like. We know what it's like to be in a world that hates us, uh, to be in a world that no longer is for us, uh, so those who are also outcasts uh, should be among us uh, and welcomed among us. Yes? Well, in Dearborn, I think sometimes I feel like I'm there. I should feel like a foreigner. Yeah, I think there's many of them are, are Arabic. What I've found is that they do practice 
and they're in deep in society where they don't feel threatened. They do practice brotherly love in the sense that they really are very helpful. That's right. And uh, when you say, sometimes I say to myself, there are some things that they do, mostly because of the stipulations that are legal to the law, stipulations of Islam, that we should do out of love for our neighbor because of Christ. That's right. Yeah. Plus, I think uh, there's a time though with, with uh, Bob, uh, he was uh, entertaining angels. That's right. Yeah. And, and again, that, that reference is here t- for us and for our comfort that when we welcome people in, when we help people as much as we can who are visitors among us, um, that the angels also are with us, uh, both protecting us and helping us to serve in this way. And I love that he brings the angels in again um, because it, we, we are uh, with the angels. They are around us as those who are uh, connected to God and serving God as his servants. So we really do have an intimate connection to angels. Um, all right, verse 3. Uh, now this, now we're getting into what would have been happening at this time and maybe what's going to be happening soon among us. Uh, remember the prisoners as if chained with them, uh, since you yourselves are also in the body. Now, this is a persecution happening among the Hebrews. You, you remember just back a little, a few chapters ago, uh, he told them, you have not resisted to the point of bloodshed. But many have resisted to the point of being imprisoned. Um, Paul, many times, was writing from prison. Um, you know, Do not be ashamed of my chains. Right? Um, so, so these prisoners then are... This is, in this place, it's not saying criminals. Okay? What it's saying is Christians who have been put in prison because they're Christian. That's, that's what he's talking about here. Um, not that we can't care for criminals, we should, um, but uh, here it's uh, addressing those who have been put in prison because of their confession of faith. Um, and, and that too should show us that uh, our faith is not hidden. Our faith is a public announcement. I mean, when we gather here, we are telling everyone by our parking lot, by our physical presence, that we believe these things. And that will cause us eventual trouble. Uh, it caused many trouble. Uh, I, I don't know how many were arrested in Canada, but I know several pastors were arrested in Canada. Uh, they tried to sh- shut the churches down. Um, now, that's, that's close by. Right? And, and we were close to having some of those orders. I don't know if anyone was arrested in the U.S., but I know there were fines that were handed out um, you know, during all this. And so, uh, but but that, that's, that's not to say other countries don't have it worse off. Again, in, in some other countries, you can't carry a Bible without fear of death. You can't tell your family that you're Christian or they may get rid of you. Uh, and so th- this is the threat that we face. But here we're told, treat them in prison as if not only do you know them, but they're still your family. Uh, now, again, it's easy to be ashamed of someone who has been taken away because Partially fear, right? Well, I don't want to get chained up too, right? I don't want to get fined. I don't want to get all this stuff. Um, but here, we're admonished that they are not disconnected from us. Our brothers and sisters in Christ who have been imprisoned, who have been uh, harmed for the sake of the gospel, those are the ones we should be supporting. Uh, and we do that here, actually. At Emmanuel, we give a lot of mission money uh, to missionaries uh, and mission sites. And that's a good thing. That's exactly what he's talking about. And we should do it more and more. All right, so uh, verse 4. 
Now, again, he's dealing with the community, so he deals with marriage. Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Um, so the, this is one of the only places in Scripture where uh, it mentions marriage in this way, um, namely that it is an honorable thing. It is an estate that we should lift up. And in our culture, this is probably the strangest thing for people to hear, that we should lift up marriage and that that is honorable to be a part of. Um, this is, I think, one of the reasons why so many uh, now in our time uh, live together outside of marriage, uh, because it's not honored, it's not lifted up. And so what, why would you? Right? Why, why would you get, and, and nowadays a lot of people ask the question, you know, well, why would I get married? Well, why would I do that? Uh, and that's even pervasive in many churches too. Why would I, why would I do that? Um, but here we see marriage is the link of the community, right? It's, I mean, that's where everything comes from. You know, Adam and Eve were given marriage for the sake of family. And the church as a family supports all the families within it. And so marriage then is lifted up and supported. Uh, and you notice that it is honorable and the bed is undefiled. It's holy. Right? Um, and we have small people. But, um, but the bed being undefiled means that we can be united and that's not shameful. Husband and wife can be together and not be ashamed of it. It's actually an honorable thing. It's not a defiling of your body. Now, at this time, uh, there was a set of... She almost made it. Um, at this time, there was some asceticism around marriage, you know, that, uh, that, that any kind of attraction to, uh, to your wife was lust. Um, you know, and, and that was uh, considered not good. Um, so, uh, again, that grew up, and this is sort of where uh, the Catholic Church came up with the idea that, uh, you know, being married is a, a common thing and not honorable. Um, so that's why, being a monk or a nun, uh, you have somehow a higher estate um, than everyone else. Uh, because you're not married and you don't, you're not connected to the lustful things. But here we have that marriage is honorable. And you can serve God in your marriage and not be hindered in serving God. And all of its aspects. Um, but also, you'll notice the next part, uh, he goes to fornicators, that is those who uh, you know, have marital relations outside of marriage, or those who take someone else's husband or wife, um, God will judge. We are not to look, that, we're not to look at um, the tearing apart of a marriage as something that doesn't matter. Um, but rather that we are to help those among us to avoid any offense in this way. Um, and God's judgment, I mean, it's uh, just, just above in verse 29, for our God is a consuming fire. Uh, there are, uh, again, within marriage, uh, there are sins that uh, are more heinous than other sins. I mean, we're seeing that in our time. Um, it doesn't mean that not every sin is judgeable. Everyone is, right? Every sin God can judge you for. Um, but sins have a progress, and if they're left unchecked, they continue to grow and produce more and more evil. Um, all right, so marriage then among us should be honored. And that includes our own marriages. We shouldn't forget, not, we don't just honor someone else's marriage, but in our marriage, we should rejoice in it, and we should do our best to serve one another in our marriages. All right, um, verse 5. 
Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? All right, so um, what, what does he mean to not covet? Yeah, right. Wanting your neighbor's stuff. Yeah. That's that's right. Right. And in our, I mean, uh, everyone knows about advertising because it's everywhere. Uh, you can't get away from it. And the whole goal of advertising is to make you want something that you don't have. That's its goal. Um, now, of course. There is a, a nicer way to say that, um, you know, where they're just trying to show you something that would be helpful to you. That's fine. Um, but we have to be uh, very cautious uh, that we don't get caught up in these things. Um, you know, as Earl said, uh, that you know, we, when we begin to desire what our neighbor has, uh, we are not satisfied with what we have. Um, and that, uh, so you'll, you'll notice in verse 5, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. A lot of behaviors that we engage in are because we want something. Money, uh, power, uh, stuff. And our behavior then, that's why he's pointing at the conduct, is if you're satisfied with everything you have, you act differently because you don't need anything. And we really don't need anything. The Lord will provide all things. And so we have nothing that we need to take from someone else. And that makes Christians very unique. Because, again, we don't, we're not demanding anything from someone. We don't have an agenda. It's simply that we, are, we have been given this love and we're just pouring it out on everyone else. Um, we we're fully satisfied. Uh, and I don't know. I, I'm trying to think of maybe a good example. Uh, I'm sure you've run into people who um, are not satisfied with their life. And they're constantly looking for other things. Um, and at the same time, I, I hope you've run into someone who, uh, who is satisfied with their life. And you, you don't feel like they're trying to take from you. Uh, and let me tell you, you want to be with the person who's satisfied. <laughs> uh, because, again, you, you don't feel like you, you have to give anything. And it sort of makes you want to give. right? Because you're like, oh, I mean, can I help you? I mean, gosh, you keep helping me. You don't ask for anything. Right? Um, so that then should inspire us too. When Jesus came, he took nothing from us. He didn't demand anything from us. And Jesus says, I had no place to lay my head. All he did was come and give. And that is a great thing. And that's what we do as Christians. We, we, I don't demand anything from you. But rather, I just want to give you whatever I can to love you. Um, and again, this attitude in the church should be grown and flourish among us. Um, that both we find when we don't do it, uh, and when we're not satisfied, we're striving after a bunch of other stuff, um, or should be praised when we do it. Um, because, again, this is a reflection of who we are in Jesus. Um, and, and this is the great thing, too, is uh, go a little lower than... Now, I, I will say this. Uh, we are slowly being threatened... Uh, with our, our stuff 
Many are threatened of, of their jobs. Um, you know, if, if they do what uh, Christians should do, uh, then they may indeed lose their job. Uh, they may indeed not have what they used to have. Uh, and that's a hard thing to face. But if you're satisfied, if you have everything you need, uh, then, then you'll come to recognize this statement right below. I will never leave you or forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Now, if we could only memorize that, that would be good. Because, again, lots of times we, uh, we do things out of fear of what others will do. Or we do things out of fear of what may happen to us. But we don't have to do that. Uh, we can do the right thing all the time and never be afraid. Because God is our helper. Um, all right, so that's then what, uh, what our communal life looks like together. Um, even down to the point of how you're using your money or your stuff. Right? All those things are attached to who we are as Christians. Bless you. Um, all right. Now, we're moving on then to verse 7. Uh, any other comments or questions there? Okay. So verse 7. We'll go uh, verse 7 through 9. Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines, for it is good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. All right, so, so now he, he is sort of aiming at who, who do we copy? Right? What should we look like? Um, and the first thing is that we copy the word of God. Um, so... Those who rule over you, they're, they're talking about pastors there. Um, and the ruling that happens is the reign of Christ. Because you notice, that, what is the method of their rule? How do pastors rule over people? Yeah, they preach the word. Yeah, right. That's part of preaching the word. You're right. Yeah. Um, so they preach the word, and what else? There's a couple other things. Well, they administer the sacraments. Yeah, the sacraments, yeah, administer the baptism and the Lord's Supper, yeah. Like guidelines and how to keep you directed in the guidelines of those are the rules and leaders. Right, yeah, physical, I mean, actual rules, right? I mean, there, there is a way that they lead so that, you know, people are, uh, there's conduct that we, we have that, that this would be the expectation among us, and that he would actually do what this says, right? And show other people how we aren't covetous and how we aren't supposed to uh, defile our marriage bed, right? Yeah. Speaking the truth in love and kindness, for instance, when, say, Christians are talking too long and we wish them to come to the Bible study. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah, to, and, and that's the other thing. Uh, again, so they, they should be a model of Christ, uh, and we'll get to that part, because that's, that's a big part of it, too, um, is that they should be as Christ to the people. Um, but you notice that, and you, and you got it, I mean, you, you got it all. Uh, right after this, in verse 7, who have spoken the word of God to you. So that, that's how they're ruling, right? The, the method of their rule is not one of physical strength or of prosperity or of economics, uh, or anything else but the word of God. 
That's how pastors rule. And again, it's not their rule, of course. And that's the great part of it, is that that's what, that's what Christ is doing for us among us. Um, so remember those who rule over you. Now, at this time, he's just saying, remember them. He's not saying anything else. But think on those people. Why, why would he ask them to remember them? Why is he doing that? Why is he saying, remember those who rule over you uh, who spoke to you the word of God? Is the preaching and how they prayed for you and if you would, had to go to confession, those type of things. That yeah, right. Served you. Yeah, and, and why, are you, why is he telling you to do that? So that you don't sort of slip back into the old habits. That's right. Gone. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. So, so that you would remember what he actually said. So you notice then that it's connected to the Word of God still. I hope that, uh, you know, whatever happens to me, that you don't remember, you know, my personal, you know, fancies, but you remember what I actually taught. Because it's the Word of God. And that's the point. Is that they're, you're not remembering them just for, you know, oh, well, he's a really nice guy, you know, and he's, he, he had, had a great, uh, you know, uh, way of talking. No, it's, it's the Word of God. He spoke the Word of God. And I heard Jesus in him. And that's what I remember. Um, Because you notice then in verse 9, he gets to why you're remembering all these things. Do not be carried about with various strange doctrines. That's the point is that when you remember what they taught, then when other people come and they teach different things, then you say, no thanks. Sorry, that's not God's word. This guy, he he did good, but that's not God's word. Um, now, the other thing, and, and uh, Gary mentioned a little too, is who has spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. So faith is lived. So it's true, you're, you're hearing the word of God from them, but also seeing, okay, what, if I wanted to see what a Christian life looks like, I should be able to look at him and know that that's how Christians should live. And this is not a point of pride, but rather a point of, does your pastor confess too? Does he too look to Christ for all things? Is he a model in the sense of, uh, gosh, you know, he, he, he knows that he is a sinner and he comes to the Lord and he has to depend on him. Now that is the model. Um, and and so that's what he should then be showing uh, so that you have an example of what it looks like. What should my life look like? And the great thing about this is, hey, I'm not that bad. <laughs> because, you're, again, a pastor should show you that it's a human being. He's a human being who, who has struggles and weaknesses, just like Paul, who says, And God, wanting to show the world just what a sinner I am, uh, and he, he actually boasts that God made such a blasphemer as Paul into an apostle. And that was for the sake of of everyone who followed after Paul. Because he was the point was, I am, I am a pattern that God can really put up with a ton of stuff in me. And if he could put up with me, he could put up with you. And that is a great thing, uh, to see men of faith who, in all of their stumblings and all of their weaknesses and all of their sins, they rely on the one who saves sinners. And that will be of great benefit to them and to us uh, you know, I too look to the pastors that I know, the, the pastors that have gone before me, um, and even you, you know, looking at the pastors that have been here, uh, knowing their conduct, knowing how they acted, 
uh, helps us to see, okay, this is a way that we can go. Okay, now, uh, lo- looking at verse 8, uh, and, and this, this again should, should show you that uh, we all are the same in the sense that we are sinners, Jesus is not, and when Jesus deals with sinners, it always looks the same. Sinners confess their sin and receive his salvation. Uh, so in verse 8, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And this is the great thing. The teaching in, the, in, in this church will never, ever be different. Which I, I hope doesn't mean you're going to be very bored for the rest of your life. Um, but rather it means that Jesus is constant. And he's always giving the same things because we always need the same things. Um, and that's why he, when he jumps into verse 9, so don't be carried about by what, with various and strange doctrines. Um, again, uh, the, the point is going back to the anchor, right? Winds and waves may come and we may be battered and bruised, but we are not going to be moved off the foundation of Jesus Christ. Um, and, and so, so uh, the church should not be a health trend or the church should not be following every single thing that's coming up you know, uh, in, in the lives of our youth. It should not reflect those things. If your grandfather acted like your teenage son, it would be a problem. You don't want him to act that way. Um, and, and that also is what we look for in the church. We don't want the church to look like teenagers. And that's why the liturgy, if it begins to reflect teenagers, there's a problem. <laughs> because that's not the point. They're growing up. They're going into something that's solid and strong. They're growing into someone who's no longer tossed about, you know, with different opinions here and there, um, following their emotions around. But rather something that's tried and true, um, that they can depend on, and will take them to the end of their journey in life. That, too, is what we are looking for in pastors, but also in the Word of God. Yeah? I think, too, if you look at the world now, um, there's just no stability. <laughs> That's right. First of all, it's, you, know, you can be, they talk everything from ethnicity to gender to sexuality. Everything is changing. Going back to what you're saying about marriage, that was instituted by God for some sense of stability. That's right. And That's right. And Christ, for, he's never going to change and, I mean, that's one of the reasons that we're here at this church because um, you're not temporary. You know, uh, we need something south. We can't constantly be changing like teenagers do. That's right. Like that's right. They're looking for something in emotion. Something south. He's not going to change. You don't have to worry. He's not leaving you. He's never going to stop loving you. So you don't have to worry to look anywhere else. He's our rock. Amen. Amen. Well, and, and this, this too should remind us, and it's, it's still sort of a mystery to me, I, I, uh, you know, but kids, the way they, how do they, how do they know that you're not going to change? What do they do to make sure you're not going to change? <laughs> oh, they test you. They push you because they don't want you to change. They don't want you to do everything they say, which is a very confusing thing. <laughs> but, but, but we do that too. I mean, again, adults don't do it maybe quite as much. Um, but there are times when we feel unstable and we maybe react against those who we love very much, wanting them to simply love us through it and not to change, not to become what we are, but rather to remain who they are. 
And that helps us and gives us strength and lets us know that they're not going to, they're not going to change their opinion about us. Um, even if we're a jerk, uh, even if we did these wrong things, they're not going to just you know, start to hate us, but they'll love us even then. They won't accept it. They won't say it's okay what you're doing. Um, and they may even have to uh, you know, give us discipline. But that's because of love. Jesus is the same, yesterday, today, and forever. Um, but the moment we, we change that and we think, well, you know, maybe, maybe Jesus is saying something different now. Maybe Jesus is, you know, yeah, well, he told everyone else this, but he told me something secret. That's, that's a problem. Yeah, that's right. Um, but, but to be fair, that's, that's almost the same as what's happening in our culture. Well, my child knows best about what... No, they don't. <laughs> you know best because you're the one who's to lead and train them into a man or a woman and a man or a woman of God. And they don't know what that's like yet. They need, they need someone to tell them what that's like. And that's, that's, again, why he's saying, remember, remember the pastors who are among you. They're supposed to be those who've been trained. And by experience of suffering and the pain they've gone through, they kept clinging to the word of God. That should be your anchor and guide, knowing that people have done this. It is a great thing to me when I look at my own father and mother, my own pastor, my home pastor, who's still preaching, praise God, um, and to see that they're still there and they're still doing the same thing day in and day out, that is a great encouragement. And we should not knock that. Um, it's good to have those who we look to and meditate on. Um, that's why people talk about Martin Luther. It's, it's insane the things that that man went through and remain the same. And only because of the word of God. And he even says that. You know, he, he says, well, yes, you know, uh, I, people say I changed the world, but I didn't really do that. The word of God did that. I was busy drinking Gutenberg beer and having a good time with my friends. Um, and of course, no, he wasn't talking about being drunk. But what he was talking about is that he knew it wasn't him at all, but the word of God that does these things. Uh, that's firm and stable. Um, all right, let me get to this next part, and then I'll, I'll, I'll come over there. Um, so after verse 9, where he says, Don't be carried about with all these strange doctrines, for it is good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods which have, no, which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. All right, so now he's turning to, um, most likely, uh, there were Jews among them who wanted to keep all of the Levitical laws. They wanted to keep all the dietary restrictions um, because they thought that would make them more holy. Now, you notice that he's being gentle with them. Uh, you know, he, he didn't say, and, and those guys, they are going to hell. He says, it hasn't benefited them. And it won't benefit them because that's not what keeps you firm and stable. It's not the diet you have um, or the things that you have. Nothing in this world is going to make you, well, I shouldn't say that. Uh, the, the, the things that God has created are good. They can be abused, but they're good. And you can use them freely. The Lord has told you that, especially in your diets, you can use them. Um, however, uh, what you need is God's grace if you wish to be holy. So, again, many times we put this on its head and we think, okay, so... I have to, you know, uh, you know do uh, this exercise plan and do this diet plan and do this, and then I'll be a great Christian. 
Yeah, and that may look different for everyone, right? Whatever your weaknesses are, usually you focus on those and you try to get rid of them, right? But no matter what you do with your diet or your money or your time, God's grace is the only thing that makes you holy. The best part about it is it sanctifies everything else so that you can eat those things, whatever it is that you eat, praying to God and sanctifying it with his word. We Christians are not legalists. We do not need to have God tell us, well, you know, uh, you can have this much alcohol and this big of a donut, and we, we don't need that. That's not what makes us holy. The, no dancing and no cards. <laughs> um, but that's not what makes us holy. Right? Um, God's grace is the one thing that we need. Uh, and if you go to church and you leave church and all you heard was how you can do this and this and this step to have a better life, you didn't get Jesus in that service. But if you went and you heard how Christ has come and how you are a sinner uh, and that Christ has come to strengthen you and forgive you so that not only will your sins be forgiven, but you will be able to receive Christ in his eternal life free because of his death, that is the eternal truth that will feed you. Uh, again, it, it, it feels opposite because we want to know, right? Well, can't you give me the 10-step plan? And, um, but, but that's not the point. The point is that to those who are pure, all things are pure. Because you have a new heart and a new mind. Our Old Testament reading was fantastic. It's, it, and I love it. You, God takes out the heart of stone and puts in the heart of flesh. And as a new creation, you hate sin. You don't want to sin with anything you have, whether it's a coffee cup or whether it's your car, right? You just want to do all things because you love God. And that sanctifies everything uh, because the blood of Christ is on you and therefore you are holy because Jesus made you holy. Um, but that's, again, that, that's our temptation is uh, there are lots of diet plans out there, spiritual diet plans, right? Uh, well, you know, if you pray for these 30 days, you'll be blessed, God will give you everything. Make sure you put this special prayer cloth in your wallet. It's green, and if you rub it five times every hour, you will then receive the blessings of the Lord. Just make sure that you send in $10,000 this afternoon. <laughs> and that's what the world looks at. What? But wait. If you send in 10500 you get The Lord will double your seed, and you will grow even more. But that's, that's, again, what the world wants. Uh, and, and it's always changing, right? Um, and it cha- you'll notice it changes with what you want. Right? Oh, you want money? They're out there. Uh, you want health? They're out there. But here he's saying it's always been the same and always will be the same. Christ has come. He has died for you. And because he has died for you, he wishes to feed you and fill you with his forgiveness so that each and every day you would live in the Holy Spirit. And then it only happens by the word of God. That is the only way. So we are not meant to be going to and fro all the time. This is the wonderful thing, is that we have a very stable foundation. Because it's built on Christ. Not on the next trend, not on anything else, but his word. And it's not going to change. But it will bring us into everlasting life. As a matter of fact, even though we continue to change, and even through death, it will bring us into the everlasting kingdom. Okay, so uh, verses 10 through 
uh, 16. We'll get to that and then we'll, we'll finish. <clears throat> yes? Quick question on that. So I'm kind of relevant preaching. Like I remember people commenting, ah, that's the single stuff. I want something that speaks to me today. Ah, uh, right. Yeah, so, so there's a difference. There's a difference between uh, preaching and having it connect to the time you're in and, and preaching only about the things that are in your time. Yeah, so, so again, Jesus, he does connect to us, and, and he connects to us where you are. Right? So it should be contemporary in the sense that it is uh, speaking to the things that are happening. Right? Um, so when sickness happens among us, we should be talking about it. Um, when danger happens among us, we should be talking about it. But we should be connecting the eternal truths to those things. Whereas a lot of times the relevant preaching becomes, uh, you know, a, a new diet plan or, a, you know, how you can get God to do what you want. Um, you know, so, so, yeah, so you can't let the times control the truth. But the truth is always relevant. It always is. Uh, and, and you, and, and, but that's the, that is the job of the pastor, though, is he's supposed to apply it. It should be contemporary to you um, and not get lost in, you know, uh, and, and, your, and your life, but rather bring you into Jesus, right? Um, so yeah, so that's, the, that's the, the fine line, that w- when you get lost in the things of the day, uh, and you no longer preach eternal truths, um, and again, what that, what that ends up looking like is, sadly, uh, you know, when you drive down the road, uh, and you, you know, see rainbow flags, um, you know, the, 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 it's in the name of being relevant, um, but what happened was they let they let the, the relevant things of our time change the eternal truths of God, thinking that that would be grace. Uh, whereas, it goes the other way, right? Uh, when we talk about uh, transgender, gender dysphoria is real. People struggle with mental illness. And we, and we should be very compassionate to them. Uh, and we should bring them to the grace of Christ, uh, reminding them that he has created them, um, that they don't have to change their bodies, even though they feel uncomfortable with them, that they will not always struggle with this. Uh, and they will go through these things, but they will make it through because God will give them the strength to make it through. Um, you know, and that's the case with any mental illness or, or any struggle that we face. Uh, is The relevance of it is we take the grace and mercy of God and put it into that situation as opposed to you know, saying, well, you know, it's not a problem. You know, we, it's not a sin. Um, because that that kind of relevance is the changing of the truth. Um, Okay, so uh, going on to verse 10. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. So you'll notice we've been going back and forth in the Old and New Testament. So this is the Old Testament. This is the tabernacle, the sacrifices. Okay, so keep that in your mind. Um, The priests of the Old Testament are no more. Uh, their, 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 their end has come. Only the New Testament priests can eat from this. Um, so we have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp Bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. So uh, this can be a, a slightly confusing, but the, the priests, 
They did not eat. So when, when they did the sacrifice for their own sin, um, they did not eat it. They ate all the other sacrifices, but they, they did not eat the sacrifice of the lamb for their own sin. Um, so this, this was something that, uh, that they could not do uh, because, again, they were human. Uh, and they were excluded from that kind of, uh, that kind of fellowship with God. Um, but Jesus does the different thing. He is the one who goes outside the camp uh, and cleanses the world. Uh, and you notice that this is, this is what ha- the, the holy city... Jerusalem and the temple itself were always meant to pass away. The earthly city of Jerusalem and the earthly temple were always meant to pass away because they were only a picture and a shadow. And this is sort of his final statement on this conclusion that we have left the earthly um, in the sense of the old priesthood, uh, the old uh, testament, and again, not because it's, it didn't do anything, but because it's been fulfilled. And now we have an eternal city being united to Christ. Um, and, and so some of this you can also see that uh, those who were Jewish and joined the Christian church, they were ostracized. Many times they could no longer be part of their community. Um, we don't have, well, I guess in America early on, um, you know, Christianity was very cultural. And so if you were not Christian, many times you could be maybe not, maybe not fully separated from your family, but it was, you were sort of on the outs. Um, that, that would even go into your job, right? I mean, uh, this is maybe way back. But um, again, if, if your boss knew that you never went to church, it might sort of impact you. Um, but nowadays, of course, it's it's different. But, but I think it gives us at least a clue into what it was like to be Jewish and then to say, well, I, I'm, I'm not going to go to temple anymore. I'm not going to go to the synagogue anymore. I mean, that, that's not my life anymore. I mean, th- that's a big break from what they were. And now they're going outside the camp to this Jesus who was shamefully crucified outside of Jerusalem. And that was on purpose. Because they didn't want Jesus in their holy city. Um, because they had made an idol out of those things. They thought that they had the truth, but they, they did not. Yeah? I think the whole thing with the temple can be seen from the standpoint of like uh, Exodus and uh, Numbers, where Leviticus, where we see that in, in reality, God's temple was temporary. They picked it up, packed it up put it between some acacia sticks and walked with it somewhere. And then all of a sudden there was a cloud instead of fire or whatever, you know, boom, it came up, okay, here's where we stop. And that message is, is carried over to Jesus. They had they had put their, their temple in a permanent place and said to God, you're only here. When God was letting them know that he was everywhere. That's right. That's right. Well, and, and again, when Jesus is crucified outside the camp, what happens to the temple? The curtain rips, right? And then, and then God leaves because He is wherever Christ is. Yeah. Well, one thing too about what you were saying, you know, earlier, you know, it comes to mind that in terms of subject, I find that no matter what I read, where I read in the Bible, it always has an application in my life. God has used the whole Scripture to teach us about how to do things. And you could be 
care what he says will apply to all. That's right. You know, the, the, the disparity of ideas, times of seasons, or Christmas or Lent or whatever. The message is applicable no matter where it is. It's, it's a unique and amazing thing that the scripture, to me, as we read it, read it, read it, that I always have, I never feel like I'm at a loss. The word is, is touching on something in my life. That's right. And it's just, it's just amazing. It's marvelous, really. Yeah. So, uh, so we go outside the camp with Jesus, uh, and then verse 14. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. Now we're, now we're back all the way in, in chapter 2, where it says that we are looking for the world to come. Uh, this is the one that Jesus established, a new heaven and a new earth, where there is no sin, because he has sanctified us, and he sanctifies the new creation. This is our eternal city in which we will dwell. So we are looking forward. And this is why Paul can say, strive as if in a race to gain the prize. Because the prize is at the end. It's not now. Now we're running. Now it feels bad. Now we're, our legs are hurting and our chests are hurting and we're you know, striving towards something else. But there will come a time when we arrive. And even now, the great thing is uh, we, we have connection to Jesus now. He's the one who brings us through the race. I mean, we we have, in the divine service, there are those who have finished their race. There are those who are the spirits of the just men in heaven uh, who are there with us, united to us. And remember, they're the cloud of witnesses to cheer us on and to continue to encourage us. Just like he's saying, remember the pastors who came before you. He's also saying, look at all the saints who came before you. They too are waiting uh, just like in Revelation, right? The martyrs are under the altar and they are longing for the day when we will rise just like them. So we have a goal. Um, and then in verse 15, therefore by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But do not forget to do good and to share for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. So our sacrifice now is different. Um, why, why is our sacrifice called this? Why, why does it say the sacrifice of praise to God? Why is that our sacrifice? Well, think of the Old Testament. Why, did you make, why would you make a sacrifice? Okay. All right. So now, why is it that we're... Are we offering our sacrifices for... To, Thanks for his sacrifice. Right, right, yeah. So it's united to his sacrifice. Yeah, Kim. Well, it's only the only thing That's right, yeah, yeah. So our sacrifice then is that we would have faith. A sacrifice of praise is given out of a heart of faith to, because you've received that, yeah. There were other types of sacrifices. That's true, yeah, you're right, you're right. There are many, right? Uh, yeah, you had... Uh, uh, you know, vow offering, the sin offering, the thank offering. Uh, there were, yeah, you're right, there were many. But now they've been all narrowed down to one. The offering of sacrifice of praise, or as Paul will say later, that we sacrifice our lives uh, as a holy offering to the Lord because we have Jesus now. So you'll notice that the fruit is our lips. Uh, he says, that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. In Jesus, we have all things. In Jesus, we have forgiveness and life. 
And so our sacrifice to God is not one of good works. But it can only be thankfulness that he is our offering. Um, all right, well, we will um, we'll pick up there uh, verse 17 next time. Um, and we'll go from there. All right, any other last questions? Okay, let's pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Dear Heavenly Father, help us to continue to offer this sacrifice of praise as you have given us true faith in your Son, Jesus. Fill us with your Holy Spirit that we might always receive this wonderful grace. In Jesus' name, amen.